Welcome to another edition of Garden Talk. Hi, Larry Mueller here. Great to have you along today as we talk about getting the most out of your vegetable garden. And with us, Raish Gala, professional kitchen garden designer specializing in growing gardens in small places. And she has a great new book out. Uh, I really like it. It's titled Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. So as we talk with her on this snowy day, I hope you'll join in. What vegetable growing questions are on your mind? It's a great time to think about the garden, isn't it? When it's kind of nasty outside. You can give us a call at 800-642-1234. 1-800-642-1234. Or you can send us an email to ideas at wpr.org. Ideas at WPR.org. Raish Gala, welcome. Great to have you with us today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be talking with you. Well, I tell you what, I really have enjoyed your book. I've been gardening for a long, long time, and there's many thousands of listeners who are listening today, I'm sure, who are even master gardeners. But then there are also probably many more who are just maybe getting started in gardening. And I think your book uh, helps all of us. I mean, I've learned some things in, in your book quite a bit, actually. And I'm, and I, like I said, I've been doing it for a long time. So I'm glad you wrote the book. How'd you get started as a vegetable gardener? It's a pretty so, funny story. Um, <laughs> it is a very funny story. I am your ordinary gardener. I'm not a master gardener and not uh, an expert in agriculture or horticulture. And um, I started out gardening just like most people, went to a local um, big box store, picked up two tomato plants and didn't know anything about how to grow them. And uh, they failed to grow anything at all. And I was just, you know, um, completely uh, bewildered thinking, how can it be so hard to grow food when it's so easily available to us um, at the grocery store, at the farmer's market? And, you know, we have such easy access to food. So how can it be so difficult to grow it? And um, I think, you know, part of my gardening journey was also about, you know, not giving up. And a lot of people, when they experience a little bit of failure with trying to grow their own food, they just tell themselves, oh, I don't have a green thumb, and then they forget about it. But I'm here to tell them that you shouldn't give up, but just keep trying and be persistent because success is right around the corner. And that's sort of what happened to me. Um, I failed to grow two tomatoes, uh, didn't know what I was doing, and that led me to do a little bit of research and homework. And, you know, there, is, there are wonderful books out there. Um, and also there's YouTube University, so so you can learn a lot. And um, I think what I learned basically was the health of your plants and the success is really dependent on the quality of your soil. Um, And so the next year, I went back into my garden and redid everything, improved the soil, started composting, and that was like, it was like a night and day change. And everything started, you know, blossoming and growing from there. And that's how my journey started. It's a great start. And it has led to your business. Uh, yes. 100 Tomatoes, it's called. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So the, I love growing tomatoes. I think that's sort of the holy grail, right, of vegetables for most people. 
or fruits technically. Yeah. And um, so, you know, it's it's sort of an ode to my gardening journey where it started with the failure to grow tomatoes. And now I'm growing like different varieties every year. It's not just like when you go to a grocery store and you just have one tomato that's available, but there's so many delicious, you know, varieties to choose from. The flavors are amazing. The colors are beautiful. And so I've truly fallen in love with it. And I named my company 100 Tomatoes as an ode to my journey. <laughs> it, it's a it's a wonderful story. And, and you travel around uh, the eastern uh, U.S. and for as part of your business and actually help people or you go ahead and design gardens for them. That's true. So I have clients in Pennsylvania, parts of New York, and of course in New Jersey where I'm based. And um, I think I not just design gardens for them, but I also install gardens. So I have a whole team of people who work for me. And um, we design edible organic gardens, preferably in raised beds. But, um, you know, it's all about not just having um, ornamentals and grass, but making your garden and an edible garden an extension of your home. So we have edible flowers, edible herbs. Um, and, of course, lots of fruits and vegetables. Um, so everything is really beautiful and productive as well. Uh, it, it, it's great. I, I was on your site, uh, reshgala.com. Uh, and, by the way, it's spelled R-E-S-H-G-A-L-A.com if you want to go and take a look at it. Uh, and uh, just some, you know, I, I was really interested in, in the, the photos that you had in there because, we're talking here, you have some very fancy and very beautiful um, uh, setups, but then there are also some pretty basic ones, like, um, you know, many of us probably would would have, uh, have the uh, means to uh, put together. Absolutely. I mean, you don't have to go, I mean, obviously gardening, you can just sprinkle a few seeds in the ground and get started that way. But sometimes when you uh, make it aesthetically pleasing, you want to spend more time in your garden. And then the more time you spend, you tend to it more and it just, you know, uh, becomes a part of you. So that's one of the reasons, you know, you can get a, a regular ordinary trellis um, from one of the big box stores and use that to support your plants. But if you, you know, um, want to go a little bit further and make it fancy, you can do that as well. But there are no restrictions. There are no rules in gardening. Um, the number one rule is to do it your way. And uh, that's the best way to do it. So your book, now, as you say, there's a lot of information out there uh, about vegetable gardening. Why, why did you decide to write this book and in the fashion you wrote it? Um, so, I, I, you know, the thing is, when I got started um, uh, with my gardening journey, I know that there are a lot of books out there that show you how to grow tomato, how to grow lettuce, how to grow cucumbers, you know, those sort of books about different vegetables. But there wasn't a comprehensive book for majority of us gardeners who might go and buy a seedling from a garden center and then we plant it. And then um, that's when the gardening really happens is, you know, when you experience those uh, problems and issues. Um, like, for example, I have one of these chapters which says, why are my carrots deformed? Or why are my tomatoes not turning red? Uh, or why are my peppers not spicy? And that happens to pretty much all of us gardeners at some point. And um, I wanted to write a book that kind of addresses those problems in a very how-to manner, as in not just, you know, the designing and planting the garden, which I have in the book, but also mainly answering the questions that come up 
during that gardening journey. Yeah, and uh, and you're a big proponent of uh, raised bed gardening. I am, you know, because not all of us have the ideal soil. Um, here in New Jersey, our native soil is very heavy and clay-based, uh, and so that's not, you know, ideal for the roots to grow in that sort of condition. And somewhere else, depending on where you live, you might not have the ideal soil conditions. And in order to amend it with compost and other things, it can take a couple of years. So if you just want to get started, get quick results and get going, uh, I highly recommend raised beds because then you can fill the beds with the perfect soil blend, which I have in my book as well, the recipe for that. You just fill it uh, with the ideal soil and put in the plants and get growing right away. So um, I, I do recommend raised beds for that reason. And the second reason is also it's easier on your back. You don't have to bend as much, you know. Hmm. Um, and and it keeps everything organized and looking beautiful. Well, you're you're certainly right about that, and you have the the photos on your site to prove <laughs> it. <laughs> that's that's for sure. Well, thank you. Uh, oh, it, it's a let let's um, uh, let's start with where to start. What comes first when uh, planting a vegetable garden? Um, so first thing, of course, if you're a complete beginner, is that you want to pick the right location for your garden. You obviously want it to be in the sunniest spot that you can find, ideally a place that can get at least, you know, six to eight hours of direct sunlight. And uh, for most of us here in North America, that's usually the southern side of our home or yard uh, that gets the maximum amount of sunlight. So you want to pick one of those spots. You also want to make sure that it is easily accessible to your home, to a source of water. So you are not, you know, forgetting about your garden and it's not somewhere far away. And then when you do get started, whether it's raised beds or in the ground, start with investing in the best soil that's possible that's high in organic matter, especially with compost, you know, that's amended with that. And um, whatever veggies you grow, make sure that you grow according to the season. If it's in fall and in spring, you want veggies that are good for the cooler weather, such as your lettuce, kale, bok choy. And if you're growing in summer, you want to have plants such as tomatoes, cucumbers, eggplants, and peppers. So grow according to the season, invest in the best soil, and choose the right location. So uh, many people have uh, problems with critters. Um, how do you, what do you suggest for keeping them out of your garden? Oh, my gosh. Over here in New Jersey, deer is our number one, you know, <laughs> a problem. And for some people, that might be, you know, wolves and gophers and things like that. So the best way, of course, is fencing, to be honest. Nothing can, you know, keep away critters. If it's just out, if your garden is out in the open, it's free food for all, right? So ideally, the number one best way is to do it with fencing. And if you do have a fence and you want to protect your garden even more, I highly suggest using items such as, you know, covers and hardware cloth as well, which are easily available at um, hardware stores. And using those to line your raised beds, et cetera, to keep the critters away. But fencing, at least for it to be, you know, six feet tall, if you have deer, is um, a must-have. And I really like your uh, fencing design. I mean, the fencing that you have, uh, that you show in, on your website, for example, is, is really mm -hmm. quite attractive. Thank you. Yes, I, and I, I do believe that if you have the garden, that if you build a garden that's beautiful, you want to spend more time in it and you enjoy it more. Um, instead of having um, a vegetable garden that's, you know, really run down and uncared for. 
So make it as attractive as you can so that you want to spend more time and you enjoy it and reap all the benefits. So what about, you know, it's uh, actually before we know it, it's going to be time to be starting here in Wisconsin anyway, uh, starting plants from seeds. Um, what's your advice um, for starting plants from seeds? So when starting plants from seeds, especially when you're starting them indoors, you know, for uh, people who are in your area or people who are in the Northeast, um, oftentimes we have a very short growing season, which is about, you know, four to five months, maybe six months at max. And so when you want to get a head start in your growing season, you want to start them indoors. And when you start seeds indoors, you want to make sure you have supplemental lighting. That is number one, you know, hands down, the most important thing for seed starting indoors is to have supplemental lighting or grow lights, as people commonly know them as. And uh, that way your plants are strong and healthy. And, um, and, and healthy and strong plants will grow better outside when they're in the garden. Our, our guest today, uh, Rish Gala, and her book is titled Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. And I hope you'll join in with your questions and comments as we move along today. I'm going to ask Rish to talk a, a little bit more about the uh, outline of her book because she covers pretty much everything uh, that you need uh, to know to to get a really good garden. You can join in at 1-800-642-1234. It's 800-642-1234. Or you could email us the email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. Jill Nadeau, our producer today, Tyler Ditter, our engineer. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Great to have you along for this edition of Garden Talk. Larry Mueller here with my guest, Raish Gala, who is a professional kitchen garden designer. She specializes in growing gardens in small spaces, and her new book is Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. Again, questions uh, or comments, give a call at 800 642 or email to ideas at wpr.org. Let's back up just a bit, uh, Raisha, uh, Raisha, and uh, tell us about, uh, describe your book for us. In the first place, I, I like the size. <laughs> it looks to be about six by eight, six wide, eight high, inches high, and so it's a nice handy uh, book in that way. But tell us about how it's organized. Thanks so much. Yes, it is a little bit smaller in size, and I wanted it to be, you know, um, a book that people can take with them into the gardens, have it, you know, for reference and use it like that. But the way it's organized is um, we have a, a few chapters. The first one starts with designing and planning the garden. So it'll help you, you know, decide what to grow, where do you start, how to create not just, you know, a garden design and uh, a planting plan, how to, you know, build raised beds, etc. And um, moving from there, it goes on to seed starting and especially troubleshooting a lot of problems. Sometimes, you know, we have like thin leggy seedlings. We have issues such as seedlings turning yellow. So how do we, you know, troubleshoot those problems? So there are answers to that in a very short to the point, succinct manner. Um, there's also a chapter on how to grow food and maximize production, which honestly is my favorite. Um, and uh, that includes, you know, tips on hand pollination techniques, 
um, as well for, you know, pollinating cucumbers and squash and melons, um, growing lots of peppers, etc. And uh, then you have another chapter on fertilizers and amendments, which I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed by. They don't know what type of fertilizer to use. There are all these numbers in the bags. So there are answers to all those questions. And um, then, of course, you know, one of the things that most of my clients find helpful is managing pests and diseases, um, how to get rid of things like leaf miners and aphids, uh, etc. And also, you know, I have recipes in there about making your own neem oil and insecticidal soap concoction, you know, all organic recipes in there for managing pests. Um, and then the last uh, three chapters, one is, of course, harvesting and preserving produce. Um, and recipes like pickled radishes and um, zucchini muffins, etc. A delicious garlic herb butter, which honestly is an absolute superstar in my home. <laughs> and uh, you must try it. I hope you do. <laughs> and um, finally, the last two chapters are more about, you know, a focus on how to supercharge your soil with, you know, nutrients like, um, uh, you know, uh, what is it, coffee grounds and eggshells, which people don't really know how to use them correctly in the garden. And then finally, it's about extending your growing season and growing well into the winter months. Like, you know, right now, I still have a garden growing in my backyard. I have lettuce, arugula, bok choy, kale growing in my backyard, even though it's 22 degrees Fahrenheit outside. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, and I found uh, something in, in every one of your chapters as I, I look through it. One of the things, you mentioned uh, food, and you've got some nice recipes in there. But I will, yeah. just as a, an, an aside, I had not heard of, and I don't know where I've been, but I, I didn't know about pickling radishes. And I looked it at is. Mm-hmm. and I have all of the ingredients already in my cupboard. <laughs> so I'm gonna... <laughs> you have to try that recipe. It is so delicious. I mean, my kids who generally don't even like radishes, they love my pickled radishes, and they put it on, you know, their nachos, tacos, in between sandwiches even. It's delicious. So highly recommend it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I tell you, I, I looked at that and I thought, you know, if I could get my hands on uh, on uh, some radishes right now, I would be making that and serving it. I've got a party coming up, and uh, y- you mentioned a charcuterie board um, yes. with olives and cheese and, and nuts on the side, and and those yes. and those uh, pickled radishes. I, I'm actually I'm going to do that for a party I've got coming up. Um, you absolutely must, and even if it's a Super Bowl party, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. And I thought, well, that alone's worth the price of the book for me. Uh, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's go back. Um, we start, talked a bit about seeds. Um, what, are the base, what is the biggest problem when starting uh, from seed? Um, So I think the biggest problem is a lot of people get stuck not knowing when to start what from seed. And so I think one of the most valuable chapters in my book is the seed sowing guide. Um, Because no matter where you live in United States, if you can, you know, just go on the Internet, search up your last frost date for your zip code, and you have that date um, that you get from Google, for example, once you have that date, you just open up your calendar app on your phone 
and just go back and follow my chart and see what are the right dates when you can start seeds indoors for, you know, um, over 50 different varieties of, you know, vegetables, fruits, herbs and flowers. So I think most people don't know when to start their seed and to time their seed starting correctly. And that's important for success in the garden as well. Linda in Lafarge uh, has emailed us. She has no luck growing lettuce from seed. She's trying to do it indoors. Any ideas? So I would highly recommend if you're doing it indoors, Linda, that you get yourself uh, a good size, you know, perhaps a galvanized steel pot or a container. Make sure that it has drainage holes at the bottom. Fill it with some good quality organic soil or a potting mix. And um, it could have things like um, compost, earthworm castings, kelp meal, etc. in it. So it adds a little bit of nutrition for your lettuce. And then just broadcast sprinkle lettuce. Um, a common mistake that people do is they take the entire packet of seeds and they dump it in the soil. That's a big no-no. Um, just sprinkle it lightly on your soil, maybe perhaps about, you know, um, an inch apart. And then cover it very lightly with soil. Um, lettuce, in fact, is one of those seeds that likes a little bit of light during germination. And so do not bury the lettuce seeds too deep in the soil. Just very lightly cover it with soil. And um, make sure you don't overwater. If you're growing it indoors, grow lights or supplemental lighting is a must. Um, so those would be my tips for growing lettuce indoors. And you can join in, too. The number is 800-642-1234. You can email us. The email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. I was thinking about those seedlings. I, I remember the first time I grew tomatoes from seed, I then stuck them outside <laughs> when I thought it was warm enough. Uh, but they uh, immediately died. Uh, hardening off seedlings uh, is a very important, and, and uh, maybe talk a bit about that. Yeah, no, hardening off is super important. It has happened to me as well, where sometimes I've forgotten to bring my seedlings back indoors, and they have gotten a jolly good sunburn on them, and the plants, you know, the leaves have turned uh, a little bit brown and crispy. So hardening off is especially important, and I know it's probably one of the most painful tasks as a gardener to keep, you know, bringing your seeds in and out of your uh, basement or your home uh, to harden them off. But you have to do it gradually because indoors, the seeds, the, the seedlings that you have, they are, you know, very uh, coddled and babied by us as gardeners. And so the harsh world, the real world outside is not that easy. And so you have to get them acclimated to the real uh, conditions that they're going to be outside living in. Um, and by doing that, you gently bring them out maybe for uh, an hour a day, put them in a shaded patio at first, and then bring them, you know, for more hours every single day um, till, you know, you leave them out overnight. And finally, then you transplant them into your garden. But don't just, um, you know, take it from inside and then pop them in your soil outside because then they won't be able to survive and they're more susceptible to getting damaged. You have a lot of information on growing tomatoes and in your book. And your business, of course, is called 100 Tomatoes. Why do you like them so much? Well, because it was the first um, well, it was the first thing that I found really challenging to grow. It was the first thing that I grew, 
And we use it so frequently in pretty much all our cooking, be it in sandwiches or be it in any soups or stews, recipes. I think it's one of the most common ingredients that people use in cooking in the kitchen, right? So um, I was always fascinated by growing tomatoes. And once I got into the world of seed starting and realized there's so many varieties available out there, and each one of them have has such a completely different flavor profile that I was just hooked. Um, one of my favorite is, of course, the sun gold cherry tomatoes. Um, and it's um, a golden orangey colored cherry tomato. So delicious. One of the sweetest ones. Um, and the Cherokee purple, which is um, almost like a, a deep red uh, brownish colored tomato, has such a nice smoky flavor to it. So I just love and I'm fascinated by all the different varieties. And even though I grow tomatoes uh, a lot, I'm always looking for my next best variety. <laughs> <laughs> so what about well, some good tips for growing great tomatoes? Um, so the best tip is, of course, to grow whichever it is that you like to have. One of the easiest tomatoes to grow, of course, are the cherry tomatoes because they're smaller in size. They will produce um, much faster. They'll be the first ones that you can harvest from your garden. And they're also more prolific. So if you're just beginning um, uh, to get into gardening, I highly suggest getting um, your hands on a nice cherry tomato plant, especially a sun gold cherry tomato or a super sweet 100. And I've listed a bunch of um, easy to grow varieties um, on in my book as well. And the other tip with tomatoes, especially, you know, you want to make sure if it is an indeterminate tomato, which is the tomatoes that grow, you know, a small amount of fruit, but throughout the growing season, then you want to be able to control the plant and pruning is also important. Um, and pruning, I mean that removing the suckers, especially from the lower one-third part of the plant, uh, just to manage the plant a little bit more because otherwise tomatoes, believe it or not, you can get a tomato jungle out of a tomato plant. It's very possible. <laughs> so just, you know, manage your plant by uh, pinching off the suckers, which is basically the growth in the armpit of the plant, uh, mulch the soil around the tomato plants, and then you want to feed it regularly as well, like fertilize once every two weeks with uh, earthworm castings or any kind of organic fertilizer. Um, and because tomatoes can be hungry feeders as well. So that would be my tip. And, you know, you mentioned organic, and, and this book really is for someone who wants to be an or organic gardener. Yes, it is, because I myself am an organic gardener, so all my tips and suggestions that I have um, made in the book are, you know, for organic um, fertilizers or other things for people who want to grow organically. Uh, Irene emailed, she loves Habitat Restore, and she buys metal shutters and screens to make raised beds. Shutters make the sides with some 2 by 4 screens uh, stop the critters from entering. And hula hoops support uh, plastic for extended growing. Wow, that is so creative. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh, that's amazing. That's really creative. Uh, I, yeah, I, I like that. What, what do you use when it comes to uh, hoops? So uh, hoops as in for supporting the tomato plant? Yeah, so um, I know my tomato plants can grow a little bit wild and crazy, especially the indeterminate tomatoes. So I like to use, you know, a combination of different things. One is that I love to grow cherry tomatoes on an arch trellis. And believe me, um, if you've never grown one on an arch trellis, it is an experience um, and 
so worth it because just to walk under a tomato arch and see all this beautiful fruit and pick it, it's really an experience. So um, indeterminate tomatoes, the cherry tomatoes are great to grow on arches. However, what another thing that I like to do is for uh, other people who don't have access to arches or can't use that in their garden, uh, I strongly suggest double staking their tomato plants. And by double staking, what I do is at the time of planting your tomato seedling, you want to put a two inch by two inch tall wooden stake into the ground. And that will be used to, you know, support your main stem of the tomato plant. And then over it, add a four ring tomato cage that you can get easily at like Home Depot, Lowe's or any other hardware store. So the, the cage will kind of, you know, corral and support the leaves and the leafy growth and the stick that you put in will kind of be used to um, to grow the main stem along that. So that'll be like a double staking method that I like to follow for tomatoes. Vivian uh, emailed to ask, what, uh, well, what are your favorite online or catalog seed sources? So one of my favorites is a territorial seed company. Um, they have a lot of great varieties, and I especially love that if you go to their website for territorial seeds, um, they have a section called AAS Winners, which is called All America's Selection Winners, which is like a nonprofit uh, organization that selects one of the best varieties every year in different categories. And um, if you are ever in doubt as to what to grow, I highly strongly suggest going to Territorial's website and finding and selecting uh, one of those AAS winning um, you know, plants. The other um, website that I also like to go to for online seeds is uh, Baker Creek. They have some really rare varieties um, of veggies. Uh, you can find your pink okra over there, for example, and, you know, um, different kind of cucumbers, like a thickened cucumber, which looks like a brown coconut, uh, you know, patina outside, and it's uh, delicious. So rareseeds.com, which is uh, Baker Creek's website, that is a good source. And then, of course, you have Johnny's Seeds as well. You know, I was thinking about Baker Creek Seeds. I, I get their catalog every year, and I actually I have a good friend who likes to garden, and, and my uh, annual Christmas gift to her every year, at least one of them, is the Baker Creek uh, uh, catalog, the catalog for for the year. And it is, it's just, uh, it's fun to go through it and look at it. And, it's so inspiring, right? <laughs> and, and you're right about the sources. The sources uh, are... Um, uh, are the the types of I shouldn't say sources I should say the varieties and so forth are so amazingly different from what I you know often try that it's it's really fun to experiment with those. Well, our our uh, we've had some trouble. I wondered what the problem was. We we haven't gotten many calls and we always get lots of calls and we've had some problem uh, with our phone lines, but it's terrible weather here so. That's probably why. And our phones are now up and working. So I hope you will join in. If you have a question or a comment or maybe an experience to share, give us a call. The number is 800-642-1234. It's 1-800-642-1234. Or you could email us the email address ideas at WPR.org. Ideas at WPR.org. Let's talk for a minute about uh, propagating plants. What are some of the easiest ones to try? 
So the easiest to try is mint and basil. Um, and you just take cuttings out of your existing mint or basil plant and you pop it in some water. Just strip off the lower leaves so the leaves are not submerged in the water and put in the stem over there. And you'll see in a couple of days, uh, little tiny roots starting to form and you have a new seedling right there. And um, you also want to make sure that you change the water every couple of days. Don't let it get too cloudy and murky. And when it does, make sure you change it and add some fresh water. But basically, once you see that the roots are an inch or two um, tall, you can transplant that seedling into its own uh, pot with some soil in it and you have a brand new seedling. There you go. Paul in Madison uh, uh, up with a comment or question. Paul, hi. Thank you for calling. Hi there. Um, I just want to bring up something that I first learned about because of this uh, program, but uh, straw bale gardening uh, I've just found to be an amazingly uh, easy and forgiving method of gardening. Um, I haven't done from seed with it yet, but I'm going to be trying this spring. And uh, I've just been recommending it and spreading the gospel to all my friends who are just getting into the practice because... With the le- no weeding and much less watering, uh, I just find it to be a lot, yeah, more forgiving. Uh, Paul, I thank you very much, and I've done a lot of it myself. Uh, what do you think of uh, straw bale gardening, Raish? The straw bale gardening, I haven't done it myself, but I think it's very interesting for sure. Like you were saying, straw, I use straw basically to suppress weeds in my garden and to not water the garden as often because it keeps the soil um, moist as well as the temperatures cool as well. So um, I have seen a lot of people using that as a source for gardening to start um, your, your seedlings and plant it. So I think it's definitely something to look into for sure. What do you like about it, Paul? Um yeah, no, like I said, just uh, because you're gardening above the soil, um, the fact that there's no weeding to deal with, and then uh, the straw bales are just basically giant sponges. So I find myself watering uh, almost half as much and still getting uh, as much production. Yeah. Oh, wow. What are you growing in it? Um, I've done tomatoes and peppers, beans. Um, this last season, I finally did zucchini and experienced uh, the whole drowning in zucchini phenomenon for the first time. That was great. <laughs> I know. Just one zucchini plant is like more than enough for a family of four, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And as uh, like Paul, I've done all those, uh, I've grown all those veggies uh, in straw bales as well. They, they do really well. Actually, the other thing that I found is... Uh, I had less uh, disease problems out of uh, with the straw bale, and maybe it was just because it's up above the, it's it's up a little higher. And I imagine raised beds uh, will result in a similar kind of um, result. I think you know, even if you do grow in raised beds, it's so important to mulch your garden with straw. And I do that all the time because it prevents that soil splashback onto the leaves and the stem, which is really the start of all the gardening problems, blight, etc., in the garden. So uh, mulching and using straw in the garden is definitely a recommendation. Paul, thanks again for calling. Appreciate it uh, very much. Uh, good for you. Jill, uh, Jill in uh, Arborvita, we'll go to you. Hi, Jill. Well, good morning, Larry. Um, I got a kick out of you wanting a radish because I am growing indoors this year with um, LED grow lights, having a ball doing it, and I just harvested the last of my radishes. So 
I I can't come to Madison and deliver you radishes. <laughs> but I'm having wonderful success with LED lights. I did some reading online that um, I was giving them too much sun in the beginning, and um, so now I'm everything is everything is blooming, and I've got oh I've got tickling cukes um, that are beginning to flower, and then I have to pick the male flower and tickle the female flower to get pickled. Um, but, yeah, having a, a, a blast doing it. Oh. And I encourage everyone to just, I mean, nothing like picking lettuce and spinach and having a salad. <laughs> it's the best. <laughs> oh, that's the best. Uh, and, and uh, Jill, thank you so much uh, for calling. Uh, Rach, what about um, grow light, uh, LED grow lights? So LED grow lights are my absolute favorite because, you know, they have both a spectrum of red and blue in them. Um, And they say that, you know, the blue light helps with the leafy vegetative growth, while the red light is really great for, you know, flowering and fruiting. So if you're someone who's growing indoors and you want both, you know, the flowering and the fruiting to happen, then LED lights are the way to go. So strongly recommend getting those. Uh, Jill, thank you so much. It sounds like you've got a great indoor garden going there, and I wish I had some of your radishes. <laughs> thank you very much. for. You should get a copy of the book and take a look at that recipe uh, uh, for uh, uh, pickled radishes. Uh, it really sounds good to me. Thank you. Oh, man. Um, Helen in New Glarus, we'll go to you. Hi, Helen. Hi. Um, I was wondering if your guest has experience working with uh, alpine strawberries and what um, if I could maybe use them as a border in a flower garden. Hmm. Alpine strawberries? Well, strawberries come in many different varieties, and alpine strawberries are a great variety to grow. You can 100% use them in uh, as a border for your garden, but keep in mind that strawberries, a little bit like mint, can be invasive. Um, they send off runners, and that can kind of take over your raised bed or your garden. So I would highly suggest with strawberries, growing them in a container or a raised bed just of its own. There you go, Helen. Thank you so much uh, for calling. Appreciate it. Raish Gala, our guest today, her book is titled Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. Give us a call with your questions, the number, or maybe an experience to share. I'd love to hear that as well. Number to call is 800-642-1234 or 1-800-642-1234. Or you can email us, the email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at WPR.org. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Mueller here with my guest, Raish Gala. Raish is a professional kitchen garden uh, designer Uh, specializes in growing gardens in small spaces. And her new book is Vegetable Garden, Vegetable Gardening Made Easy. Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, subtitle, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. And you can join in with your own questions, comments, or maybe your experiences to share. I'd love to hear from you at 800 
642-1234, or you can email us, the email address, ideas at wpr.org, ideas at wpr.org. Uh, Rish, I wonder if you could talk a bit about your thoughts on fertilizer, uh, when to do it, and the kinds of fertilizer you recommend. Um, so with fertilizing your um, edible plants, you have to be aware of three main macronutrients that plants need. Um, just the way we as humans, we consider proteins, fats, and carbs to be our ma- macronutrients. When it comes to plants, um, it's nitrogen, phosphorus, and pot- potassium, which are the main nutrients that the plants need to grow and thrive. So um, the best time to fertilize the plant is at the time of planting. Add a little handful of, you know, all-purpose fertilizer into the planting hole, scratch it in, and then, you know, put in your seedling into the ground. And then after that, you want to fertilize about a month after planting is when you start actually fertilizing your plants. And um, then you want to do it maybe every once, every two weeks. And if you have like a a plant which has a lot of leafy growth, such as kale, for example, you want to, uh, you know, uh, add a nutritional uh, fertilizer that is high in nitrogen um, and that will help boost the leafy growth of the plant. And the other time that you want to fertilize your plant is when you see little flowers on your tomato plant, for example, or your pepper plant, you want to fertilize it with a fertilizer that's high in phosphorus that can promote the, um, the, the flowers to turn into actual fruits. And the, and the, the kinds of fertilizer you recommend? So um, at the time of planting, in the planting hole, I just recommend any kind of all-purpose fertilizer. I think it just says that on um, the package. It'll just say an all-purpose fertilizer, uh, which is nothing but a balanced fertilizer. It has, you know, almost equal amounts of N, P, and K, which is nitrogen, uh, phosphorus, and potassium. So a balanced fertilizer or an all-purpose fertilizer at the time of planting. And then after that, you want to, you know, look for a fertilizer that's high in either the N or the nitrogen if you're looking for more leafy growth or high in the P, which is, you know, um, the phosphorus if you're looking for growing root vegetables and high in the K aspect or the potassium if you're looking for the flowering um, and fruiting um, time. John in Boaz has a question. Let's go there. Hi, John. Thank you for calling. Hi, Larry. And your guest, I have a question about growing grapes. You know, in Italy, they have these grape plants all over the place. The same thing as Germany, the Moselle Valley and all that. Well, I want to grow some grapes in Boaz. It's a river valley for the Mill Creek. And I planted them two years ago, and then I made it through the first winter. When can I expect to have a bounty of grapes? Hmm. So the grapes are in, or the plants are in, and they're. And John says uh, he's they're a year old now, I believe, and is wondering when he will uh, be getting a bountiful harvest. So, you know, depending on the size of your plant, I think, you know, usually grapes, they take a couple of years before they can start producing because you want the wines to really grow big and uh, grow tall. And if you're trellising them well and they're getting sufficient sunlight, I hope that you have a nice harvest this year. All right. So the second year, you are, or even uh, certainly by the third year, you're going to be expecting uh, gr- a good harvest. 
of grapes. Um, there we go. Thanks so much for that call. Appreciate it very much. What you know, um, one of the things I liked about your book is that pests that you describe in your book are the exact same pets pests that uh, create problems for our Wisconsin gardeners, cucumber beetles, spider mites, um, things of that nature. Um, what what are the most successful methods of controlling pests? Um, so the the successful method, whether a method is successful or not, it depends on the particular type of pest that you experience in the garden, because not everything will work on every pest. So the number one most important thing to do before you know you can um, do any kind of pest control is to identify the pest. So once you identify it, I think neem oil in general in organic gardening, along with insecticidal soap, works the best. And um, if you don't have insecticidal soap, you can even get a bottle of Dr. Bronner's uh, Pure Castile soap, mix it with neem oil in, you know, a big gallon of water, shake it really well, and then apply it and spray it on the leaves. Uh, and you, you mentioned Castile uh, soap, and you are uh, sounds like you're a big proponent of it. What what is it about Castile soap? So what soap does is, if you just apply just the oil on top of the leaves, then it's going to you know basically slip off uh, the leaves and fall away. It's not going to stick. And so the combination of oil and water alone um, doesn't create an emulsion, as you know, oil floats about water. So it's very important to add that soap along with them to activate the neem oil because it creates an emulsion, so to speak. And so um, anytime you want to use just pure neem oil, don't just add it directly. Of course, you can burn the leaves. And don't just add it only with water because then um, oil will float about water and you don't want that. It'll just slip right off. You want to add in some uh, soap, preferably pure Castile soap. I know people use dish soap as well. But you want a combination of the neem oil along with the soap to create that emulsion. So it's, um, you know, it creates a coats the leaves and uh, stays there so it can actually smother the insects uh, or the aphids, what have you, and um, take care of the pest problem. And what is it about Castile soap that you like so much as opposed to well, other soaps? Well, it's uh, number one, it's more pure, you know, and it's not uh, synthetic like some of the other dish soaps that you use um, in organic gardening. They can have certain synthetic uh, chemicals in it. So I just prefer using Castile soap um, for that reason. And uh, what about disease? Let's talk about methods of controlling disease. Um, so disease such as blight, you mean? Yeah, the blights, you know, and you, you have a little section on the, you know, early and late blights and septoria leaf spot. Uh, maybe talk about that. Yeah, so, you know, the best thing is, I mean, blight, to be honest, if you're growing tomatoes and things like that, it is uh, pretty much inevitable. At some point or the other, we've all as gardeners experienced, you know, having those brown spots and our leaves uh, kind of browning and the disease spreading. So the most important thing, of course, is you can get varieties that uh, have disease resistance in them uh, to maybe early blight or late blight, etc. Uh, but the most important thing is to catch it early and to remove or discard uh, any leaves that are showing signs of disease or blight. And uh, you need to prune them off. That's very important to remove those um, leaves. 
And um, also, you know, a lot of people I know these days, the buzzword is intensive planting um, in the garden. However, you do want to be a little bit careful when you're intensively planting your garden because you also want good amount of air circulation and airflow because that's what keeps things healthy. Yeah, so give them a little bit of space. Uh, yeah, I'm not yes. I'm not the biggest fan of the, the really heavy, dense the gardening that seem, people seem... Many people seem to uh, like. Myron emailed, uh, he grew an orange tree from a seed. And it's about three feet high now. And, you know, here he is in Wisconsin growing orange trees, uh, obviously indoors. And he has found tiny, fuzzy white dots on the stems. And wondering what it might be and how to get rid of it. I have a strong feeling that it might be spider mites. Um, especially because um, I'm guessing right now, being winter, his plants might be um, indoors. And so it's very, very, you know, common to find spider mites. And it might look initially as, you know, dust on top of the leaves of the plants. But uh, the way to take care of it is, number one, you want to wipe down the leaves with either, you know, if you have a small infestation, just wipe down the leaves or the stems that you find those um, white dots on with a damp cloth that's dipped in, you know, a soapy water, for example, and wipe it off. And if that doesn't take care of the problem, you might want to go in with the neem oil concoction that I've mentioned in the book. And uh, the book, by the way, I've been uh, getting requests to repeat the book name. I haven't done that enough. The title is Vegetable (laughs) Gardening Made Easy. Vegetable Gardening Made Easy. Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. And our guest, of course, is the author, Resh Gala. And her name is spelled R-E-S-H-G-A-L-A. And her website is uh, reshgala.com. So you can uh, go and take a look uh, at, at, the, um, at her website as well. Thanks for that call. You can join in, too. Uh, and... It's always a lot of fun to talk about gardening, even even when it's, you know, where you are, it's just as cold there as it is here. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it is very cold over here as well. We just had our first snow a couple of days ago, and um, we're expecting, like, you know, um, super low temperatures, like 8 degrees Fahrenheit next week. So, yeah, I'm just freezing thinking of what's coming. <laughs> yeah, and uh, in uh, southern Wisconsin next week, the temperatures, uh, I think the high one day is zero. Uh, wow. Uh, with a low of 13 below, I think, or something like that. So it's kind of fun to talk about gardening at this time of the year when we're kind of Mostly, hopefully, safe indoors and nice warm temperatures. Raish Gala, our guest today, and again, I'll give you the title It's of her book. It's Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. I'm Larry Mueller for Garden Talk on the Ideas Network of Wisconsin Public Radio.
You're listening to Garden Talk on the Ideas Network. Larry Mueller here, and we're talking about vegetable gardening on the show today with our guest, Raish Gala, professional kitchen garden designer specializing in growing gardens in small spaces. She has uh, was named 2020 Gardener of the Year by Burpee Home Gardens, and her new book is called Vegetable Gardening Made Easy, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever. So, what vegetable growing questions do you have? You can join in. Love to hear from you. The number to call is 800-642-1234. Or you can email us to ideas at wpr.org. Ideas at wpr.org. Love to hear from you. Colin emailed. He moved uh, and for the first time has an outdoor space for a garden. He picked a full sun area with lots of room. Is there a trick to preparing the soil in early spring for a vegetable garden? Also, as far Absolutely. as des- yeah, also as far as design, what are your tips for making an in-ground garden an easy place to garden and hang out? Yes, um, an in-the-ground garden is absolutely possible as well. And in spring, as well as in fall, actually, but right now as we're going into spring, the best thing that any gardener can do is to amend the soil with compost. Um, And ideally, you want to add at least three to four inches of compost on top of your soil. Um, You can mix it in into the top few inches if you like, or just leave it on top as well just to kind of break down and add nutrients back because what happens is as it rains the nutrients tend to seep down you know into the lower levels and can reach the root level of the plants to compost uh and and as far as design for an in-ground garden what's any any particular thing to worry about or to you know make it an easy place to garden and hang out Well, when you are doing in-ground gardening, you want to raise the level of the soil a little bit because if you don't, then it can, you know, um, uh, make the soil run off a little bit. So just create little, little mounds uh, that you can where you're going to be planting your different vegetables and fruits. And that is uh, ideally the best way to go about uh, in-ground growing is to create little mounds or areas that you're going to be growing um, and planting in. Danae emailed uh, that alpine strawberries don't have runners. They grow in clumps, and they can be grown as borders, but they can be hard to get started (laughs) from seeds. Uh, Start them from plants, the suggestion from Danae is, because they are alpine. Think of Swiss Alps when planting. They will thrive in constant moisture, rich soil, lots of leaf mulch, but no hot, full sun. Some filtered shade is best. Morning sun is best and late afternoon, early evening sun. Uh, they produce blossoms and tiny berries all spring, summer, and autumn if given these conditions, but will stop making blossoms during droughts. So keep them watered daily during hot summers. Don't let them dry out. They self-propagate and spread slowly by seed once they are established. Oh, that's great to know. That's wonderful. Yeah, th- th- they can make a nice ground cover. Yeah, thanks so much uh, for those uh, tips, uh, Danae. Appreciate it uh, very much. Well, let's turn back. I, one of the things I wanted to go back to is you mentioned eggshells, and I I saw your kind of trick because eggshells just the egg if you just throw the eggshells in the soil, you're not going to 
uh, it's going to take a long, long time for for uh, calcium to be um, uh, spread from from those shells. Yeah, it's going to take a very, very long time. I think it's one of the biggest gardening myths. I've seen so many of these um, hacks on YouTube, gardening hacks, people call it, where they just either they bury an egg uh, in the soil before planting their tomatoes or, you know, they just put in eggshells um, uh, around the corners or edges of at the base of their plant thinking it's going to deter slugs and, you know, pests. But to be honest, the best way to use eggshells, especially if you want uh, calcium to be available for the plant, is to pulverize them into the finest powder that you can and uh, add that powder into your compost bin or your compost pile. Let it break down even further. If you're doing worm composting, earthworms love the gritty texture of, you know, um, pulverized crushed eggshells and, um, you know... Uh, apply that compost to your raised beds. It'll make the calcium um, available to your plants faster than just, you know, putting in some uh, eggs or eggshells into the ground. Yeah, and, you know, and, and a reason that people, when it comes to tomatoes, uh, for for doing that is that uh, it may help uh, prevent blossom end rot. Maybe talk about blossom yeah. end rot in tomatoes and, and how to avoid it. So, you know, oftentimes when we uh, pick a tomato, it looks fine from the top, but when you turn it around at the bottom especially, it tends to have this big black uh, spot at the bottom, which is oftentimes um, blossom end rot. And what it is, is people tend to say it is a calcium deficiency in your soil. And, um, uh, you know, it, it, in one way it is in the sense that the plant is not able to absorb sufficient calcium that it needs to prevent this uh, blossom end rot from happening. But most of the time, it isn't that the soil is deficient in calcium as much as it is that the plant has not been watered regularly and therefore is not able to absorb the nutrients from the soil in order to prevent this uh, BER or blossom and rot. So um, blossom and rot is certainly, you know, because of the plant's inability to uh, absorb calcium from the soil. And the way to really take care of it, number one, is to water your plants regularly. Don't go, you know, uh, too long between your waterings because um, that can create a problem. And how much water do you recommend? Uh, you know, for you've got to raise for raised beds. What do you recommend? So it depends on your season. In summer, you know, depending on how hot it gets, you might need to sometimes come in and water twice a day, especially in the peak of summer. Uh, but otherwise, if you mulch the top of your soil with some straw, for example, and keep it nice and, um, you know, moist, then I think in summer you can get away with watering, hand watering once a day, maybe once every two days. But at the end of the day, especially for fruiting plants like tomatoes and cucumbers, you want to water uh, not as frequently but more deeply. So I would recommend in summer watering once a day or once every, you know, two days. And the way to test your soil, because overwatering can also be a problem sometimes, just, you know, stick your finger into the soil. And if um, it feels like it's moist and um, fine to the touch, then you don't need to water immediately. But if it feels dry when you stick your finger in, then definitely you need to water your plants. Gary in Milwaukee has something. Let's go there. Hi, Gary. Thank you for calling. Hello. Fair enough. So I'm wondering what your guest feels about using peat moss to amend soil. I, I love it. It works so well. I think it acidifies the soil slightly, which is always a good thing generally. But but uh, I keep hearing that it's not a sustainable resource because basically it's almost close to a, 
a fossilized form of compost. But I'm just wondering what your guest thinks of it. And, and uh, I think it also has to be said, if you're going to start a garden from scratch and you try to amend the soil, uh, it takes a number of years of doing that before you really have good results because it just takes a while for the compost to break down to a usable form in the soil, I think. And it just takes a while. But my big question is what your guest feels about the use of peat moss versus other organic sources. Of, sure. Of, sure. Yeah. Good question, Gary. Thank you so much. Thank you, Gary. I really appreciate that so much. Um, I, I think peat moss, to be honest, I'm not a fan of it just because it is not considered a sustainable or renewable resource, so to speak. And I know, for example, the UK has already banned peat moss, but here in the United States, um, it's uh, still there in a lot of gardening products, in bag soils, etc. So my recommendation is I know peat moss tends to add um, a good amount of, you know, uh, would you say acidity slightly to the soil. And that's great for growing tomatoes especially. But I recommend instead amending your soil with compost. And uh, if you don't have access to a lot of compost that you don't make at home yourself, um, you can go to a soil yard and get compost in bulk. And I know it might take a long time to amend your soil, which is why I'm a big fan of raised beds. But uh, if you're doing it and you want to do it the right way, then I strongly suggest, you know, um, lowering your dependence on peat moss is uh, the way to go for all of us gardeners. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Gary. Appreciate your call. Again, you can join us, 800-642-1234, the number to call or email to ideas at wpr.org. Let's talk about uh, harvest and uh, preserving uh, produce. Uh, do, do you use all the methods you write about and how'd you learn about them? <laughs> well, definitely learned from my own experience uh, and my own failures, to be honest, <laughs> is how I learned from it. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's sort of the way, you know, you learn, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, let's, uh, uh, go back a bit because we got a, a question from uh, someone about the neem oil and insecticidal uh, soap. Um, can you, th- what's basically that recipe? Um, so the recipe is basically using um, a, a spray pump spray bottle, preferably if you can, and uh, adding cold pressed neem oil. You don't want to use, you know, just any neem oil because you want it to be high in acetactins which is really the key ingredient. And the way to make it is to use two teaspoons of cold-pressed neem oil. And I hope, uh, you know, your um, the person who put in the question, I hope she has a pen or he has a pen handy to write uh, the recipe. It's basically two teaspoons of cold-pressed neem oil with four to five tablespoons of pure Castile soap and add that to one gallon of water. And make sure you really shake it really well to create that emulsion that we were talking about before. And then use a pump sprayer or a spray bottle to, um, to use it on your plants. And it's as simple as that. And uh, the, back to uh, harvest and uh, preserving a little bit, I, I wanted to talk about green tomatoes uh, because sometimes... I've had I've been able to ripen a tomato into December <laughs> here, uh, mostly by luck. But what are the best ways uh, when it comes to tomatoes to uh, ripen them 
you know, the, because at the end of the harvest or at the end of the season, you've got typically you have all these green tomatoes and you don't want to lose them. Yeah, no, totally. I, I'm with you on that, um, especially if you have a frost coming up um, and, and you have all those green tomatoes. What are you going to do with the green tomatoes? There's only this much of, you know, green tomato salsa that you can make or fried green tomatoes. So the way, actually, the, the easiest trick is to um, ripen your tomatoes or to turn them red by placing them next to apples or next to bananas. Because tomatoes also, they tend to release a gas called ethylene, ethylene which uh, helps them turn from green to red. And apples and bananas release a lot of that gas naturally even when they're sitting on the countertop. So the way to turn your green tomatoes red is putting them in a paper bag along with a couple of apples or some bananas. And believe me, in like a week or 10 days, you'll see that they are starting to blush and then they're turning red. And um, they're just as delicious. Well, uh, I don't think they're just as delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, acceptably delicious, especially when it's end of the season, you know, because if it's homegrown, they're dear to your heart, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm thinking about, again, about your book and things that sort of popped into my head. Uh, one had to do with slug control. And one that, uh, you know, of course, we've often talked about beer as a slug control. But uh, you mentioned copper collars for slug control. Yes. T talk about that. Um, so the copper collars, for some reason, if, this, uh, if you place the sort of a copper collar around the base of your plant, around the stem, for some reason, the slugs, they don't want to cross it because they get uh, a tiny bit of like an electric shock. And so it discourages them from getting near the plant. So it's pretty cool. You get these copper rings, they're easily available, you know, on Amazon or other uh, gardening centers as well. But um, you need to install it at the time of planting. Yeah, uh, it makes um, it makes good sense. And you have uh, an, another thing that I wanted to go back to was you have a uh, a special recipe. You call it your secret recipe when it comes to um, a soil or uh, the material that you put into your raised bed. Uh, what's your secret recipe about? Well, the main thing is that you want to have uh, not just a soil, um, or not just topsoil, because a lot of people, when they get started with their gardens, and it's a mistake that I did as well, is um, I just filled my raised bed with topsoil. And unfortunately, topsoil isn't high in nutrients. So you want to be able to fill your raised bed, not just with uh, a combination of topsoil, but you also want to uh, have some compost, which is really the organic matter, the nutrients that will help your plant thrive. And you also want to make it loamy, loose and airy by, by adding materials like vermiculite and perlite to it, which kind of aerates the soil and makes it light and fluffy. So it makes it uh, easy for the roots to grow down deep into the ground. And um, usually the top few inches, I like to amend it with um, some good organic bagged uh, potting mix. So you have a combination of everything. You have some loose loaminess with the vermiculite and the perlite. You have the nutrients with the compost. And that creates a good uh, medium, you know, for the plants to grow in. Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds like a kind of a perfect uh, mixture uh, for for sure, and uh, I, I'm sort of I'm sorry I'm jumping around a little bit because there were some other things that I wanted to bring up. One was about 
peppers. And I've, this has come up on the show uh, in the past, but uh, people have said, well, I grew these peppers and I thought they were going to be spicier. They're not as spicy. Why would that be the case? And how do you correct that if you, if you can? So usually peppers, um, a lot of times people don't realize, but peppers really thrive in the hot season. Um, not just, you know, when the summer starts and the peppers start, you know, producing flowers. Your, the peppers that you have early on will be much milder. However, if you wait till the end of the season and let them change color from green to red, that's when the capsaicin and the heat from the peppers will really start kicking in. Because as the soil warms up, the it it enables the peppers to actually turn color from green to red and it makes them spicier so if you want spicier peppers just you know have some patience and wait towards the end of the season is when you get the spiciest peppers when they're actually red in color because all peppers start out green believe it or not even those you know uh, orange bell peppers that you see or the chilies that you have everything starts out green and it's when they change color to red is when it actually you know starts taking on a spicier flavor profile uh, uh brad emailed to say he has problems with radishes and we've certainly talked about radishes today they grow great leaves but there's yes. nothing underground or almost nothing what yes that's what's he what can he do <laughs> Oh, it's so common, <laughs> believe me, that, you know, we all have hope as gardeners. So that's what we do. And when we see those leaves growing, we're like, yes, we're going to get a good harvest. But sometimes, you know, we just get slivers of nothing. And with radishes, um, one of the big uh, misconceptions is that people tend to uh, fertilize their plants. And actually, radishes, they should not be fertilized. I, in fact, never fertilize my radish plants because by adding any kind of fertilizer to your radishes, it tends to have, um, you know, nice big leafy growth, but you won't find the actual bulbs growing. And so if you're told you want to amend your soil when it comes to radishes or any root crop, actually, for that matter, even carrots or garlic, for example, make sure you amend the soil with a fertilizer that's high in phosphorus, not a fertilizer that's high in nitrogen, because phosphorus will encourage that root growth, which is what essentially a radish is. It's a root crop. Um, so don't use any fertilizer that's high in nitrogen or just skip fertilizing altogether and um, space them well. A lot of times we tend to, you know, crowd up our seedlings a little too much and uh, radishes need to be planted. The seeds need to be sowed about two inches apart and you'll get nice radish harvest for sure. Those radishes are, those seeds are not the easiest to plant. <laughs> they aren't. Uh, uh, for sure. And 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 then and one other one uh, that we get is the, the lettuce tastes bitter. My lettuce tastes bitter. Uh, and uh, that's very common. It's because of the seasonality. You know, if you're growing things in the wrong season, it's not going to taste as great uh, as what we had hoped. So lettuce is a cool season plant. It loves to grow and it thrives actually in spring and in fall. But if you're going to grow lettuce in summer, you have to be prepared that it's not going to taste as sweet and crunchy as you'd hope for. Because the heat of the summer also tends to uh, change the flavor profile of the lettuce and it makes it bold. It basically grows really tall and it produces flowers and grows, goes to seed. So if your goal is to get lettuce seeds, then maybe you can, let, you can grow the lettuce in summer. But uh, for me, <laughs> I want a nice crunchy lettuce. So I want to grow it in fall and in spring. 
and um, and, and yeah, because in summer also you'll notice it it'll be you know a little bit limp and not as crispy and crunchy and uh, juicy as uh, one that's grown in fall. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and that I know those are addressed in your in your book uh, as well. Yes. And so the, the, I thought, well, I got to mention those. Um, that have come up in the past on the show. The other one is always, why are my carrots, they're, they're deformed or they're, you know, they're not a carrot shape. Yes, and that's, again, you know, one of the um, common reasons is because of spacing, to be yeah. honest. Um, you know, carrot seeds are so small. They're that when very you small. Them, so <laughs> tiny, right? And so we tend to overdo it when we are sprinkling the seeds directly in the soil. And, you know, carrots are one of those things. You have to direct sow them. Um, you don't start them from seeds indoors. So when you direct sow the seeds, it's very easy to be heavy-handed with sprinkling the seeds <laughs> in the soil. And then, you know, most of us, once we put in the seeds, then we go about our lives and we forget about it. <laughs> and then, lo and behold, you have, you know, too many seedlings growing together and you have those deformed carrots. So it's important to go back in and thin them out. It's so important. If we just put in the time and a little bit of, you know, um, five minutes in the garden every day just to kind of go in and check in on our plants, and it'll be like um, you can get your straight carrots if you thin them out. Raish, it's been a, a great pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. I hope we have a chance to do this again. Thank you. Thank you so much, and I hope you can check me out on Instagram at Raish Gala. Vegetable Gardening Made Easy is the, t uh, the title of her book, Simple Tips and Tricks to Grow Your Best Garden Ever, and go to... Uh, Raish Gala, that's R-E-S-H-G-A-L-A dot com. And thank you for listening. Stay with us. Lots in store on the Ideas Network. I'm Larry Miller.